This podcast is brought to you by Gistia Labs. Thank you for tuning to Tech People, where real-life tech practitioners share their professional experiences. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tech People. Today, we have Blake Thomas on the show. Blake is the Director of Engineering over at East Park Learning. Blake has a deep passion for education. That really shows, not only because Blake chose this industry to, to grow into, and today's episode is going to be about just a, a couple of things, how he was able to bring his own passion for education to his, to his work, right? uh, evolve from maybe a, um, an industry where he had some passion, he had some, something to learn and to provide, but he wasn't fulfilling himself um, not only as an engineer, but also he wanted to fulfill more of, of his own mission. So anyways, with, with that, it came to go into education. He went into education, found a company that is furthering education. Um, and, I, and I honestly think that, you know, we should all look into doing something like this if we feel unfulfilled in our current roles from a mission perspective. So. What I really like about uh, Blake is that not only did he grow into a role in the, within this industry, but also he brings his own passion for education and the way that he handles his team, the way that he grows his engineering team. He understands that it's not only about the widgets that we create or not only about the tools that we use, but most importantly, the people that create those uh, those widgets. So if we're able to support them and provide for them and be empathetic. I think that's that's some of the lessons that uh that you can learn from from listening to this episode, and um you know he he grew into this into this role at East Park Learning after the company had started, and as many of you that are listening, you you are part of leadership within a team. However, you might have not been the original IT leader, so you have to grow into that role, and uh, Blake had to do that as well. So anyways, without further ado, let's welcome Blake, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Blake, my friend, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, I wanted to to start off by uh, publicly apologizing for the ups and downs we had with uh, getting this this scheduled. I think we, we spoke about it in our, in our pre-recording just now, but uh, I wanted to start with that because I, I think you, you brought out an interesting point that you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of topics and that are that are near and dear to our hearts and that are important for our listeners to again to to listen to. But the one thing we didn't think of talking was time, right? And how time is such yeah. an important key concept. I appreciate the apology, uh, but no apology necessary. One of the things that I've learned over time is that uh, time is precious. It's one of those things that is very difficult to trade in and impossible to get back. And uh, the longer you, you work in technology, you realize there is never enough time and you just have to be easy on yourself. So uh, no apology necessary. And I'm glad that we have the opportunity to talk today. Same here. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful again for, for your patience here. And for those who, who are listening, um, you guys should know that these conversations, these podcasts, uh, we, we put a lot of time and effort into them. We don't just call up, you know, I just, they just call up Blake and say, Hey, let's talk right now and record this, right? We had a, a series of conversations before this. We had a, a pre-interview, like a formal pre-interview 
we got to know each other and uh, we prepared something that we thought was valuable for you guys. Even though it sounds informal because that's the idea is that it sounds like just a regular conversation, we did think this through. So anyways, we're very excited. So Blake, let's get started. Uh, I can't wait to, to get started. So Blake, tell me a little bit about yourself. I want to know the man and then we'll get into, into the, the professional. So tell me a little bit about how you, how you got into tech. What was, what was it that brought you into the field? Yeah, I think, um, I think it was, well, at, at my earliest roots, I've always been fascinated with technology. And I think you'll, you'll have a lot of folks on the show or listening to the show who are going to tell you a story about when they were a kid, the thing they messed with. And I could certainly go into that. And there's interesting stuff there, but I think that it probably, I think the critical juncture happened in college. At some point, when I was at the University of Chicago, I was pursuing a degree in mathematics, and my job was working at the computer science uh, Mac lab. And somewhere along the line, I realized that my hobby or the thing that I was uh, just doing on the side, not the thing that I was studying, was far more lucrative and uh, in many ways, interesting and rewarding than the uh, the kind of austere academic path that mathematics offered me. And so I just kind of dove headlong into that. Spent a lot of time um, building websites on the side. You know, this is the heyday of uh, the internet bubble. So everyone wanted a website for their business, even if it was a little five-page informational number. And uh, did a lot of that. Worked as an IT professional then moved into uh, uh, test engineering, actually, which was a really interesting experience. And then uh, at some point, uh, was senior enough and had developed a, just a lot of expertise at a, at a company and, and went back to software development and really enjoyed that. Spent some time there and then went into leadership, leading first my own team and then multiple teams uh, at the time. So one thing that I that is always surprising for me, and it, well, the word isn't surprising, but it's almost a, a pattern that I see that I've recognized along the way. And by the way, we're going to talk into about about to jump into this for a second, but it's interesting how even at your beginnings, right? You started off this very generalist. The more experience we have, or the better we we, we become, the more specialized we get, right? And that comes as you know. I think the evolution of that is then we start thinking of. Okay, what am I? What problem in the world am I? Do I want to help solve? Right? Do I want to try to improve the like button? Right? Do I want to design a fart app? And sorry for those who are fart app designers, but uh, you could do better. And um, that's something that it's okay if you're a teenager. Maybe some if you're, you're if you're in high school and you're designing a fart app. Hey, way to go! Do it. Keep doing that. But if you're ahead of your in your career, it's probably not the right place to be. Right? So. The more we get along our path, the more specialized and interested in different topics we get. In, in your case, before eSpark, you went to a financial institution and uh, yeah. you learned that it wasn't your thing. Well, so I think the thing that uh, you, you talk about specialization, I think there's a the analogy for this and uh, language is one of my sort of things that I like to nerd out on. But I think that the the analogy here is sharpening, right? And I think the thing that sharpens us as professionals is the industry, the domain, the product or whatever, not the, not the toolkit. And I think a lot of us go into 
the business or whatever, uh, because of our love for the toolkit, we love technology, we love writing code. I know certainly I did. Uh, I loved putting together just network applications that did interesting things or, or what have you. Uh, so to kind of draw it in, like the, the toolkit is the thing that fascinated me, that enthralled me, but the thing that moved me forward and, and encouraged me to learn new skills and, and sharpen myself a little bit. Yes, there's that, that general love of technology, but it's the, the, the product focus or the need to, to solve a problem that really pushes us forward to become more specialized, to become sharper in a way. And so I see that as a kind of process that I think that happens to a lot of folks. They start as generalists. They don't know necessarily what they want to know, except they want to know everything. And then as time goes on, they're solving more and more specific problems, more and more acute challenges, whatever they are. And, uh, and that path from generalist to, to specialist, I think, happens naturally. In your case, what came first? Um, the opportunity to be part of, a, a, of an education company or you already had an interest in education before you had the opportunity? I actually had the interest first. Uh, one of the, one of the benefits of it would be hard for us to argue, especially at this point in history, that technology doesn't afford people just a massive amount of privilege. And I think that one of the great things uh, that I have had in my life is the ability to stop and, and kind of take stock of what I was doing and decide what actually mattered to me. And that's kind of what happened. I stopped and took stock and I said, you know, do I actually care about the product that, that I'm building or, or what's going on? In other words, what matters to me about the work that I'm doing? And I realized that I didn't care nearly so much about the product as I cared about the people I certainly enjoyed the work that I was doing, but the the product wasn't a motivation for me. And so I thought, okay, what what do I want to do? And uh, you know, I have educators in the family. My wife is a teacher, and so education occurred to me. And I didn't really like the idea of trying to become a teacher myself because I see what teachers go through. Frankly, I didn't like the idea of becoming some kind of a paraeducator, you know, uh, sort of like a director of technology or anything like that. I wanted to, to stay outside of the kind of institution as it were. And so I started looking at ed tech and I found some, uh, you know, I work in Chicago. Chicago is actually kind of an amazing place for ed tech. And uh, there's some great opportunities. And I found one that I fell in love with. And so that's how it works sometimes. In, in a way, though, you, you can still have that impact, that positive impact on kids' lives, even if it's indirect, right? I mean, you, you, you do provide that without you, without your, you doing what you do. Like you couldn't do at the end what you guys do, right? No, I, I think, uh, I think there are, the, this dovetails, uh, interestingly with a, a long running conversation between anyone who, sees the possibility that that technology kind of affords us and anyone who is in a role uh or or in uh uh doing the work already without the benefit or or, or what have you of of what technology might provide us a lot of teachers or educators 
in this conversation believe, and frankly, some of the, the less thoughtful technologists have, have thought and even said as much, and they're, they're wrong for the record, or at least I think that I can say I think they're wrong and I'm being diplomatic, but they're actually, I'm just going to say they're wrong. That the goal of education technology or ed tech is to somehow replace the teacher. And that's false. Education as a pursuit will never be as effective as it would be with a teacher at the head of a classroom. What education technology at its best is trying to do is to make a more, a more sort of compelling, more useful, more helpful textbook, really. That's, that's one of the things that I like to point out. And the reason why I think that is pertinent here is, is just this idea that we are having, uh, an impact. And I would argue a fairly direct impact, but we're not having the impact that a teacher or that a person, in other words, in, in a classroom would have. We're having the impact that the tools of education would have. So in other words, the impact I get to have is the impact of chalk or a pencil or a tablet, you know, and that does have an impact on a student's day uh, in a very meaningful and valuable way. So I think that where this is going at some point, though, for example, in medicine, I recently had a guest where their product is about helping doctors make better decisions with data. So decision, I think it's a data decision-making support, something like that. That's the actual title. So I actually see tech ed or ed tech go into that kind of that way where they're empowering teachers and uh, almost think of it, uh, and this is my, my weird way of thinking, but when I was talking to this other company, I was thinking of this uh, exoskeleton. Have you, have you seen those exoskeletons for soldiers where they can't carry like 500 pounds? Well, I thought of like, it's similar. It's like this exoskeleton for the doctor's brains because, you know, they see X number of patients per day, every single day. Imagine the cognitive load on them. So some of that contextual-based decision-making support is huge. So I'm sure that at some point we're going to get there with teachers as well, like figuring out how can we support them so they can do their job better. Mm -hmm. Well, so there, and there's, there's a lot of precedent outside of education for that kind of an idea for the listeners. Like I encourage you to go look for articles in this direction because it's some fascinating reading, but there, there are some studies that have been done that have suggested that we are actually, uh, by virtue of using less of it, uh, losing some of our uh, long-term memory capacity because we're carrying around phones that are essentially like information gateways. If you think about it, 20 years ago, how many phone numbers did your average person have memorized? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't even know. I mean, I know my phone number, but if you ask me, and probably people are going to gasp at this, I have to look up my wife's phone number. The thing is, if I force myself to do it, I have, you know, I have a fairly good knack for memorizing things like that, but I don't have to. And the, the, the mere fact that I don't have to means that I'm less practiced at it. It's a little bit harder. Let's extend that cognition idea to any kind of a profession where if you have tools that actually support your ability, you, you don't have to expend the cognitive resources on remembering where to find all of the things. Now, 
there's a kind of sentimental loss to that. I mean, we all love the librarian who knows the library like the the back of her hand and and can find any you know any kind of little little article that that uh, that we might need or or any book or whatever. But there's a very real power in when I think about a Kindle or any uh, e-reader device. Like that is essentially the Library of Alexandria right in my hand. Right when we can put that kind of technology, but do so in a way that actually empowers teachers to not have to think about as much of the resourcing uh, uh, or, or in any case, empower them to do more amazing resourcing and give them resources that are, that are fantastic. When we can do that, like think about how far education can really reach. I see the work that my wife does as an educator to put together resources for classrooms. I should say that she very much enjoys the pedagogy that goes into that, but she would, I think, have an easier time if those resources were more easily discovered, if they were better organized, if they were cataloged according to their their lexile and all kinds of different things. And I think we have opportunities to do that over time. And I, I think that is the direction we are going in a lot of ways. So it's an information society, I think. So getting into, into eSpark learning, I want to know, I think we should uh, explain a bit more about what the company does. So what, what does the company do and how does it technology play a role? And, and let me add to that question. It's sometimes, uh, I think we spoke about this in a pre-interview, but it's common for a company to say build widgets or protein shakes. And, um, <laughs> just keep coming on my mic because I see one in front of me. And, uh, software is just a tool to build that protein shake, right? But I I also know of some actual supplement companies that technology is like the heart of the entire company. They're actually a tech company that their tech helps them produce the the supplements. And yes, the the outcome is a supplement, but they're not. They don't. They see themselves the way that they operate is as a tech company versus a supplement company. Tell me, how how do you guys see yourselves? And and again, how does technology play a role? Yeah, so uh, let me start by saying what we do. So we we have two applications, the eponymous eSpark app, which uh, is aimed at primarily K through uh, K through three learners, and it provides curated content that meets standards for reading and math, tied up into sort of curricular units that that uh, that can be assigned that empowers uh, students to pursue kind of a, a differentiated instruction path uh, so it meets them at their level. We also have a product called Frontier, which is aimed at older students. So we're talking like third or fourth, really fourth through uh, eighth, let's say, and is more of a reading and and increasingly a writing focused application that is uh primarily on the web as opposed to cross platform at this point I should say rather than uh, uh something that is geared more towards iOS devices if we can just to get a bit into into that um say vision of self identification because you know in, in a second ago you mentioned that you thought of yourselves as, you know, an extension or let's say a, almost like a tool for the, for the classroom, let's say a chalk or pen. But to me, honestly, you guys are way more than that. So 
tell me, do you see yourselves as a, a an education company or as a technology company? You see, there's a, there's a finite difference. Absolutely, and I and I wanted to talk about what we did before I got there. What what I do see us as is a technology company first, and I think the reason is complex, but I think it has to do with, I think there are two ways companies uh, or any endeavor really forms. I think you see a challenge and you look for a solution. And I think that's one way of kind of building an endeavor and, and there are gradations between these. But I think the other one is you see the power of some tool or some ability and you see opportunity in that and you go and try to solve challenges. And I think that that latter description more accurately reflects our history. And I think that is part and parcel of what makes a technology company. You are a company that looks at the vanguard of technology or looks at the promise of technology and says, how can I use this to make the world a better place, to make education better or whatever it is you know uh, in terms of industry or domain, make that better? I think that's reflected in our founding story, which I'll briefly share. Our CEO uh, around eight years ago saw the uh, rise of the omnipresence of mobile devices and realized that there was a really profound opportunity to put this kind of a device in front of students and curate content on that and make it essentially a learning machine. And so I was musing or thinking about this before our conversation today, and I realized I think that eSpark is maybe one of the oldest mobile-first companies in that we aimed for the mobile platform before we ever even thought about the web. I think that we saw the promise in technology and continue to see the promise in technology to meet challenges in education. And so we are, I think, first and foremost, a technology company. That doesn't mean we aren't steeped deeply and and all feel very personally and as a company as well, like a deep, abiding kind of obligation to education as a pursuit. But I think that, uh, I think we are first and foremost a technology operation. So one of the things that I know that was interesting for you, that was, uh, say, unique in your position, I want to say unique, but this is, if you, if you think about it, just thinking of the problem itself, there's probably more people that this happened to than not. And basically, you step into this company as a leader when you weren't part of the foundational development, right? As you mentioned at the beginning. So I'm sure that this is something that might happen to other, to other leaders. They come into a company, say a new CTO, there's a lot of historical knowledge that they don't have. And what, what was the hardest thing about that when you, when you stepped into? Well, first, uh, an observation about how, like the regularity of this, I will point out that for any successful company, it's bound to happen that someone who is a leader in the company is coming in without the full context of the origins and the founding of the company. Inevitably, right? Because people are going to work forever, even if they do work for their entire career at one company. If the company is successful, eventually they will retire. Um, but in any case, I think that one of the most interesting challenges is that I had to inherit perspective and that that perspective, though historical was kind of incomplete and flat in a way that it wasn't for the folks who were there when the company was founded. So there is no way that I can walk into the company with the kind of expertise, the company-specific, product-specific expertise that the folks who work there are going to have. So I have to lean on 
what I see is a, a profound and necessary strength of any any good leader or or leadership arrangement is trust. I absolutely have to trust those folks, and I have to be confident enough in my ability and the value that I'm bringing to that equation that I can be humble and ask questions and admit when I don't know as much as or even anything at all about you know the problems that we're solving. The value that I bring to that, that equation is, of course, my experience and my time solving more general problems that may elicit or illuminate patterns that are valuable generally that apply to the specific instance. So it's, it's a really interesting thing to have that foreshortened, imperfect history given as a kind of gift on your way in. You know, I have this absorbed tribal knowledge that isn't experiential per se, but it acts as a kind of index wherein I know who to ask about what usually, but I definitely didn't experience it. What do you think um, has been the toughest thing? Has it been kind of building this, you know, background of knowledge that, that you've had or backlog of knowledge that you that you're, that you need in order to make the right decisions in your role? Or what do you think has been the, the hardest thing you've had to do? Hardest thing I've had to do is, uh, uh, I wonder if that isn't one of those things that, uh, the answer changes every couple of weeks or every, I don't know, but <laughs> true. I think probably one of the hardest things is trusting myself on answers or, or on ideas or, or what, what have you that are company specific. Because I think it's very easy for anyone inheriting that kind of context or absorbing that kind of context to say, well, do I really know enough? Especially if you have had really profound, really deep knowledge of any product or any stack or any technology or what have you. And you have this memory of just not even knowing, like being the answer in some ways. It can feel very limiting or artificial or something to say, you know, I think the answer is here, but I'm not sure. And so at some point, though, you've been doing the work, you've been there long enough that that you have to be able to say, you know what, I, I'm quite confident that we're going to find the answer around here. The mirror to that is you have to have the humility or the self-possession to to uh, say, you know what, I was really sure that we were going to find the answer there. And uh, this is the one time that I was wrong. And that has to be okay. So I think it is that. I think it's the confidence. Developing that confidence is maybe the hardest thing. On that same note, I know that one of the more important things for you is, as, as a leader is developing your team, developing people. But if you have people in your team that were there before you, there's a different identity, right? That you have, like you, now you need to, as you said, grow into that confidence for your, in yourself, but also grow as a leader for those, those folks. And I know, again, that this professional development and, and sponsorship is, is important for you. How do you, you know, how do you bridge that gap between coming into this company? And you, know, you know what I mean? Like not only your knowledge, but also building theirs and, and kind of building that relationship with them. Yeah, it's frightfully similar to the process of just getting to know a person because it's essentially that. I think you get to know the folks that you're working with, the folks on your team, 
and you understand what's valuable to them, what they actually, what motivates them, what they care about, what doesn't motivate them, what uh, discourages them. You know, some folks, just as a quick example, some folks like congratulations or appreciation in public. Some people like it. Uh, don't like to have that level of scrutiny applied to them. They don't, they don't want the, uh, public applause or whatever. The point that I'm getting at in the course of learning those things, you also learn what their goals are, what their professional aspirations are, what they want to find out, how they want to grow. And you become a kind of facilitator with both within the organization using the, the kind of connections that you build outside of your, your specific capacity. And also outside of the organization, using your general knowledge, both in terms of networking and in terms of what opportunities are available. And I'm not strictly speaking, talking about, you know, just jobs. There are all kinds of uh, networking opportunities. I'll just give you an example. Uh, speaking opportunities at conferences can be a huge thing. One of the folks previously an eSpark engineer who I encouraged and supported as he was putting together a talk for Strange Loop is now writing a book for O'Reilly. Those are the kinds of things that if you understand what goals folks have, you can kind of support them in that journey. But the process starts with getting to know them and understanding what their goals are and never, ever, ever presuming that everyone has the same goals. It's almost like being a teacher, <laughs> right? Like there's there's a lot of that educator in you there. Yeah. Uh, if assuming that you know that last thing I said is a bit ironic in that light because uh, I said never assume that everyone has the same aspirations. The truth is that we should never assume that everyone is at the same level, even if they have the same title. Everyone comes with their own kind of packages of knowledge and experience, and their uh, directionality, what they intend to accomplish, may be a little bit different too. And I think that that differentiation is absolutely necessary in order to support these folks in terms of their professional development as a leader. And I think that you nailed it in the sense of giving us an, an understanding of how you've gone through, through that journey of growing into the company, or let's say letting that knowledge grow into you, because you've, you, in order to, to be that leader, you need to have that contextual knowledge. And the humility in order to, again, to ask the right questions and, the, and to, to the right people. But at the same time, the empathy of those working for you and, and help them develop themselves. So, you know, that, that shows, uh, this, this level of, of empathy really and, and, and also self awareness. That is, you know, some, something that I think we, we should all, um, learn from. And I'm still learning and I encourage everyone to, to join me on that journey. I think it's, uh, uh, I think it behooves us to, there's, there's a comedian who does a late show and he's, he's a, he's a bit of a jerk, but I think he, uh, his sign off on the show is fantastic, which is, I think we could all do a little bit better. And I think that that's a fantastic line. I think we could all just do a little bit more and try to, try to go a little bit further. And I certainly think that, uh, as much as I have found some success in being a supportive and empathetic leader, I think I could do a little bit more, and I try to every day. And with that said, I think uh, we have a great uh, interview here because we, I think I told you at the beginning that I really like this arc of, of figuring out how you started and then how you've, again, grown into this company, how the, the role of the company itself is something that is aspiring. And, and now, you know, then your own self way of, of thinking about all this. I think it's something we should all learn from and ending it like this is great. So Blake, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat. 
I do have two actually last questions before I, these are short questions, but one is, do you have any resources that you might share with us? If you want to send them to me and I'll put some links later that we could do that. But if you have any, any books, any, any links, we'd love those. And also how can people find you and find eSpark Learning if they want to maybe apply for a job or, you know, knock on your door, maybe they're, they're motivated or inspired and maybe want to ask a question or, you know, get some insights from you. Well, let me, uh, let me just say really quick, I would love to share some resources with you and provide some links. I'm going to have to give that some thought and follow up with you on that. But as a really quick plug, if anyone knows a uh, really fantastic data analyst who is looking for a job, that's something that we very much need right now in Chicago or San Francisco preferred, either one preferred. I would love to hire a fantastic data analyst. And uh, so if anyone wants to talk to me, they can reach out to me directly, I suppose, Blake at esparklearning.com. And I would love to talk to them. Otherwise, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm just uh, Jin, spelled kind of funny, D-I-J-J-A-N-N. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, just B.W. Thomas. All right, Blake. Well, thank you so much again for your time today. And for those that are listening, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And again, if you're a data analyst and you're good at it, if you're bad, don't go knock on, on Blake's talk because you, you're going to embarrass me. So only if you're good. Okay, guys? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Hope everybody has a great day and uh, that you enjoyed this episode. Blake, thank you so much for being a part of the show. 